Let's bow as we begin. Father God, after singing songs like we have sung this morning, we are so mindful of who you are. We're so mindful of all that you have provided for us. And Father, sometimes in this busy world that we live in, we lose sight of what's really important. We lose sight of the fact that one day you're coming back. We lose sight of the fact that this world is not our home. And we thank you for preparing for us a beautiful place that we all look forward to one day. And until then, Father, help us on a daily basis to say no to those things and those desires of the world and help us to cling to you. And it's to Jesus we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. I'm in Revelation 4 this morning, if you'll turn there, please. And as you're turning to Revelation 4, when I say the word worship, what comes to your mind? Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a particular place of worship. Maybe it was many years ago. Maybe it was here recently. Maybe it was in another country another state, I don't know, but maybe you in your mind have this thought of people singing great hymns of faith like we have sung this morning. Perhaps for you the word worship brings up images of people just sitting quietly in church with their heads bowed and praying or meditating or maybe bowing down or kneeling or raising hands, I don't know. But what comes to your mind when I say the word worship? You see, worship is attributing ultimate worth to something. It's where in our life, whether it's an object or a person or even an idea, it's valuing one thing above all else. It's literally worth-ship. So when we sing praises to God, we're worshiping because we're proclaiming with our voice and with our mouth that God has the greatest and possible highest praise and possible worth and value above all. You know, as, as Americans, we live in a predominantly secular society, and so we don't see people literally bowing down before idols. Most of our neighbors don't have a little statue of Buddha or Zeus on the mantelpiece, but instead our culture tends to worship other things, money, success, physical beauty, health and fitness, safety and security, recreation, whatever we organize our lives around, whether we, whatever we put first, whatever we seek above all else, that's typically Sometimes what we fall prey to 
in worship. And so fundamentally, we are by nature worshipers of self. It's so easy for us to seek after our own welfare and happiness as the greatest thing in life. And so the God-given drive to worship sometimes is perverted. And it's turned in on itself and becomes the urge to make oneself a little God and to place oneself at the center of the universe. Church, when we think of worshiping God, it's not about us. It's about bowing down and giving tribute and honor and reverence and awe to the one who created us. And that's it. When I think of worship, my mind goes back some 35 years where our family always gathers in southwest Arkansas for deer camp. But more than that, we would always gather at my great-grandmother's house when she was alive, and she lived right across the street from the little white frame building called the McNabb Church of Christ, population about 40. And last time I went through there, it's just going right on down. But one of the things that I remember about that little white frame building, it had a little auditorium, maybe 75 people at the most. It had a bathroom on the right and on the left before you walked into the auditorium. And behind the auditorium, there were two classrooms. They didn't have a lot of kids. They didn't have a lot of people. But one of the things that I remember as we worshiped in that little building, sometimes we would have to dodge the wasps that were flying around because they couldn't keep them out. And sometimes people would even just run out of there like myself. Sometimes we wouldn't even come back to church. We'd run hide. All the kids would do that. But as I think about those, those worship services, I think about how simple it was. Most of the time, they had no idea who was going to lead singing. They would tap a man on the shoulder when they knew who was going to arrive and who was going to be there. And they were always ready, always had songs ready to go. We didn't have an order of worship like we have today. Nothing was planned out. Everything was spontaneous. But as I think back to those days, I think back to people who were not afraid to just worship God. They didn't let anything stand in their way. They didn't care about the troubles of the world at that moment. They were concerned and gathered in that little white frame building Loving God and loving each other. Some of the best potluck meals you could ever have. They love to be together. They made church so simple. They made worshiping God so simple. And I don't know where your mind goes when you think about worship and when you think about those images but I want you to, to look this morning in Revelation 4 
where the disciple John, as you remember, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he had to serve a prison sentence for the sake of the gospel. And so John's body of flesh was imprisoned, but his spirit soared above all that man could ever do to him. And so obviously John desired this freedom to travel where he pleased and to perform the ministry that he knew that God had called him to do, but God saw fit in his plan to keep John in that place until God's time and purpose had been fulfilled. You see, John was there because he was doing the will of God. Wasn't a comfortable place, but while he was there, as we've gone through the past seven weeks, we have looked into a glimpse of the letters to these little congregations that needed some encouragement. Churches that were in deep distress, some were being persecuted to the point of death, some were being attacked by false teaching and, and little gods that we've talked about and evil actions, and others just needed to wake up from their boredom-induced slumber, and most needed to repent. And at the end of every one of those letters, remember what he says, to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes Repent, wake up, these messages over and over again. You would think that Jesus would give these letters to John and then say, all right now, get to work on fixing these places. And since John was in prison on the Isle of Patmos, he could at least get to some serious praying for the churches, maybe some administrative changes, move the leadership around to fix the problems, get up and do something before everything falls apart. But that's not what Jesus does. And I wonder then, I wonder how many times John questioned God. Why, Lord, am I confined to this island while multitudes are dying without Christ? Why am I here? What did I do to deserve this punishment? Yes, I'm happy to suffer for the cause of Christ, but could not my life be more productive for the building of the kingdom of God than just sitting right here on this barren rock? I mean, is there not another place where you could put me? Would it not be better if I were preaching from city to city to city, establishing churches? I mean, what good am I to you at this place? I've already witnessed time and again to my fellow inmates to no avail. And my life and my time so often just seem to be wasting away. I mean... You're God, and your will is sovereign, and I'm going to trust and I'm going to worship you no matter what my circumstances, because I know that you are always present with me. Can you say that this morning in your life, that no matter what circumstance that God has put me in, that I've, no matter where I'm at, can you say above all else, that I'm going to worship and glorify God right here, right now, at this place, and at this time. You know, if John had questions, we have them too, don't we, church? We have our questions, we have our doubts, we have our wonderings. What are we going to do? What's God 
going to do? What is God going to do to fix all of this? And so here's what Jesus does. He dictates the letters. Then at the end of chapter 3, as it closes in verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he looks to John and says, come here. I got something I want to show you. And he rolls back the curtain between heaven and earth, and he opens a door into heaven for John to hear God's voice and to see things that no man had ever seen before. And to experience something that he had never experienced before. I mean, all of a sudden, he's experiencing a moment where he's lifted from the bonds of a Roman prison into the glorious freedom of the throne of heaven. And so looking at this event, I'm reminded of this. God is still opening that door for those who will look to him and listen for his voice. God wants us to see what he has in store for those who love him. And so it's interesting that when Revelation begins talking about future things, the first thing it focuses on is the Father. I want you to listen to these words. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass. It was just clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Ooh, kind of a scary thought there, isn't it? The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, and let's read this together, church. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. You know, sometimes do we think that when we get to heaven, we're just going to wear our crowns and sit around and wonder, no, I'm not going to put this on, okay? 
and wonder what's going to happen next. Folks, let me tell you something. We're going to be so busy praising and worshiping God, we're not going to have time to worry about a crown on our head. Because we're going to get a crown, that crown right there, as pretty as it is, it ain't going to last. The crown that we are fighting for right now will last how long, church? Forever. And so no matter what your circumstance are this morning, no matter what sin you may have in your life, the message that we receive from Almighty God is lay your crowns at the feet of Jesus and live as redeemed people. You don't have to stay in your sin. You don't have to stay in that circumstance. That kind of junk does not have to define who you are. What a scene. And so Jesus tells John he's about to see what must take place after this. And instead of this horrendous picture of war and famine and pestilence that people often associate with Revelation... Instead, we find ourselves in God's throne room witnessing an awesome worship service. It's filled with some strange sights and sounds, lightning and thunder and rumblings and beautiful colors and unusual creatures and an inspiring example of how to praise God. And do you see in this worship service, the focus isn't on yourself. You're so busy worshiping and praising God, you don't have time to think about yourself. Praise God for that. Because God says, this is what life is all about. This is why you fight. This is why you pray. This is why you give in to Jesus daily. This makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it, church? This is it. And then the curtain closes and we come back to reality. And what Jesus wants us to do is to spend the rest of our time on earth trying to get people to see this is what life is about. Not stuff down here, but this is what you live for. But we fall back into routine. We fall back into you fill in the blank. And I'll tell you this, whatever we fall back into is nothing compared to this. Nothing. So as I look at this passage, I think, man, what is going on here? I mean, if Jesus has told John he's about to see what must take place after this, why would the first thing that Jesus take John to would be a church service. Why visit this beautiful but seemingly irrelevant ceremony? Why not just get right down to the nitty-gritty of it all and tell us about what we really want to know about, the conflict between the forces of good and evil, between the forces of Satan and the angels of God, but instead we find ourselves being ushered in to the throne room of worship. Why start here? And as I ask myself that, I begin to think, because that's where God knew we had to begin. That's it. If we're ever going to experience the glory of God in our lives, we have to learn to get close to God and leave the things of the world behind. And as that curtain opens up, wow. 
That's about as close to it as you can get, isn't it? You see, God wants us to rise above all the things that we mess around with. He wants us to soar on eagle's wings to higher places. He wants every sinner that's bound by sin to break free from those chains of bondage. And he wants everyone who's bound by sorrow and sickness and pain to be set free by his great power. And so God has placed before us an open door that allows us to kind of climb above the mundane things of this world and to set our sights on heaven and all of its glory. And so look at the image that this chapter places in our minds. It's awesome. It's very unearthly. There's odd creatures in the room. It's somehow comforting that 24 elders and white garments and crowns, and they at least look something like us. But God is worshipped by everything in heaven and earth. Everything and everyone subjects itself to God. Not because they have to, but because he is worthy. You alone, we've sung this morning, are worthy to receive glory and honor and wisdom. And there's a sense of power here. And there's a sense of wonder and assurance that if this is my God, my enemies better watch out. They don't have it. They don't stand a chance. That's good news, isn't it? And if you keep reading Revelation in chapters 5 through 18, it can be pretty frightening and pretty overwhelming. But here's what you see. Our God is bigger than anything this world can throw at us. He occupies the higher ground, and nothing can stand against his power. You hear that? He's always on the higher ground, and nothing, I don't care what it is, can stand against his power. He's going to conquer it all, and he's going to take care of it. And here's this truth that's inescapable. Jesus tells us in the Gospels, and if you read the rest of Revelation, you see this truth. You will have trouble in this world, but take heart. Because of God and because you belong to Jesus, you will overcome. And so Revelation 4 is not only telling you that you will overcome, it's telling you how you will overcome. And so the 24 elders in verse 10, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And then over in chapter 5, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals in verse 9 because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels 
numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, let's sing it together or read it together. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. They're singing praises to God. They're worshiping the Father. They're focusing all their attention on him. Everything is centered on the throne in the midst of the room because when we do that, And when we praise and worship God and focus all of our attention solely on him and his throne of power, we're focusing our attention not on our circumstances, not on our difficulties, not on our failures, not on our tragedies. We're focusing our attention on the one who can take care of all of that. Wow. Wow. No wonder the four living creatures cry out. God's been there in the past. He's here in the present. And he'll be there in the future when we need him. He never leaves us or forsakes us, even in our darkest moment. Right now, I want you to close your eyes. And for the next four minutes, I want you to keep your eyes closed. And I want you to listen to the words of this beautiful song by a cappella called Glory and honor. When I'm there with you in heaven, what a wondrous joy will be gathered with the angel by the glassy sea Such a thought is hard to fathom In the presence of my King And with countless ones forgiven Gathered round the throne to sing Glory and the 
Let's stand. That's why the 24 elders could cast their crowns before the throne. And that's why they could sing this praise. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Those who stand against you, they don't stand a chance because of God. We overcome because we have the power of God in our corner. Never let go of that power. Live this scene out, not just this week, but every day. And give glory and honor to the one who created you.